0: Welcome on the Barricades. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. I am Maria Cernat, your host, an academic from Bucharest, Romania. And with me, as usual, the co host of the show, the Bulgarian born Polish journalist, Bojan Stanislavski. Thank you for being here with us.
1: Hi, hi, thanks.
0: As Boyan said during the previous segment, you can find us on multiple channels uh, and uh, you can find us on Rumble. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Substack. And uh, you can also consider if you like the content we are producing, donating. We have a small community of donors to whom we are very thankful. And uh, to the extent that you can, for it, you can make a donation. We have the links in the description on on the video. You can like and share the content that we can that we produce now. Rely on your help because uh, we are doing this for you, our viewers. And we discussed previously a small country, not so small, but anyway poor country from Eastern Europe, Romania, and now it's time to move to an even poor country in the European Union and that's Bulgaria. And because Bulgaria is experiencing something very bizarre like five rounds of elections in the past two years, an ongoing political crisis, we're going to start with uh, analyzing a little bit what's going on there mm-hmm. and uh, Boyan you discussed in the previous uh, we discussed you discussed in previous segments of our show a very interesting concept, the concept of non-representative democracy now we yeah, have yeah. liberal democracy uh, this is something <laughs> even weirder <laughs> I mean yeah. non-representative democracy, so please please explain
1: yeah well first i want to say that democracy in this uh, when you when you put this phrase yeah when you put those two words together and you construct this phrase non-representative democracy then democracy comes in inverted commas of course because uh well that's very banal but i'm just going to say it here that democracy is about representation right so if you have uh if you have no representation then you cannot really have democracy. And that's that's been the case in Bulgaria for the last 20-something years. Uh, indeed, I did discuss a few segments ago with Bujin Trajkov. He's a Bulgarian journalist and analyst. He's a teacher, by the way, so you know it speaks kind of to what we discussed in the previous segment. Uh, he's never been sexually harassed, though. I've never heard of anything like that or, or hasn't been stopped all the more. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's a very interesting situation in Bulgaria that we have now in many aspects. And I think it tells us about the nature of the political and social system and how the, the social system and the, maybe uh, the political system and the social culture, the social political culture and how they are not compatible at all in Bulgaria. I mean, the kind of liberal democracy, the notion that's been enforced, you know, after 1989 uh, and particularly after 1997, the first successful colored revolution, which took place actually in Bulgaria. People don't know that. So I, I often refer to this incident. Yeah. Now, uh the most popular governments over the last two years, when we really did have five rounds of early elections, uh, the governments in between, the interim governments, the governments that had to, you know, that were that were formed not by the parliamentary majority but through an order, made decree, kind of made by the president of the republic, uh, they formed what they refer to in Bulgaria as technical government because it technically has to make sure. That the institutional con- there is an institutional political and 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 formal continuation of the statehood right like you cannot have a a state which is not governed by anyone uh, so uh, they did put in place a few governments of that nature in order and of course the most important task for those governments or. or um, well, the only task really politically ahead of them was to organize another election, another round of elections. That was the most important thing. But of course, there were many other aspects like the budget, like, you know, all kinds of things, you know, in relation mm-hmm. to the war in Ukraine, in relation to uh, the European Union. So it's not like you can, you know, put the ministers together and they will just... Uh, deliberate about like when are we going to have the next elections they really have to run the country and they have to run the economy to the extent that it's possible of course with certain limitations but let me tell you what those appointed governments were much more popular in the society than the governments that were created through uh general elections so it tells you something that and and yeah look it's not because in the Western media, you, you're you going to read analysis like, oh, the Bulgarians, you know, they enjoy authoritarianism. They love authoritarianism. And this is why, of course, I'm simplifying. I mean, no one's writing what I'm saying here word for word. But this is the general conclusion. When you, when you read people writing about Bulgaria, you can see they have no idea about what... The, you know, about the society, the culture and the history of the country that they're writing about. But they are just, you know, looking through everything, looking at everything through Western spectacles. Like, OK, so if if in Canada we had a situation like that, Canada, for example, Australia, I don't know, France. then mm-hmm. we, Oh, those people are now, you know, favoring authoritarianism because they like governments that were appointed more than governments were, you know, m- which would emerge through elections that they themselves take part in, right? So this is a comp- this is very th- this might sound logical on the surface, but it's not because people, you know, are not driven to make political choices by some kind of philosophical, you know, concepts, deliberations, and you know, afterthoughts about whether they take part in something or not. Like their first instance is whether something works or not, and that is. Just the general reaction, that's, I don't know, probably biology even. Uh, Like if something works, then it works. Then it makes sense for it to continue. It doesn't matter whether it's like perceived as authoritarian by some, you know, uh, journalists or analysts or politicians or other people like influencers, opinion leaders in the West. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to Bulgarians. It doesn't matter to most people, really especially in Eastern Europe. If something works, it works. It's great. It has to continue working. So this is, I think, a very healthy attitude from the side of the people. It shows that they understand, you know, the good thing and the bad thing and the functioning and malfunctioning things in politics. They understood and immediately grasped, okay, the fact that those governments appointed by the president, they seem to be free from all the oligarchic pressure from different oligarchic centers in Bulgaria and abroad, and you know they're free because they they you know they they don't come from those parties who don't represent people but represent some kind of oligarchic circle, so they're free to do whatever they want. well of course not not totally, it's not like free for all, but they are able to take some political action in order to improve the situation in the country and this was the case with the first interim government in Bulgaria, which was appointed after the failed uh, elections. April uh, April 2nd two years ago so and, and then things started to deteriorate I, I don't have the time to go through all of it uh, and, and but just
0: a second I think this is very very important because I think for our viewers I think it's important for them to understand that political parties especially in Romania in Bulgaria, they are so disconnected from the people they are supposed to represent, they are representing basically group of economic financial interests, if not even organized crime. So <laughs> they are really acting like some sort of very, very weird artificial construct that has nothing to do with representation. No. And this is probably the reason, because the political party are so corrupt, and so disconnected from the ones that they are supposed to represent. This is one of the reasons probably why when you have a government that's being appointed, and this is perceived as authoritarianism, as process, but in reality, they are more popular because those people are disconnected from these interest groups that are corrupting political Precisely,
1: Precisely. You have to be able to look at it dialectically. If you like, I mean, yeah, no, I'm serious about it. Like, because, you know, you cannot just look at the formal surface of things and then draw conclusions, particularly strong conclusions from that. Because you mm-hmm. say to yourself, as a process, it might appear authoritarian, but profoundly, it's much more, it's profoundly democratic when you have. An appointed government, okay, it was not elected, technically it was not elected, but it's appointed and it enjoys a lot of support. That's much more democratic than a government. And that's the dialectics uh, of it. Like it's much more much more uh, democratic than a government which would emerge through general elections but would not represent anyone because those that participate in the elections, I mean, I'm talking about the parties and coalitions and stuff, they don't represent anyone in the Bulgarian society. And this is why I said when you were talking about, you know, the parties in Bulgaria... Or, or Romania or other countries of Eastern Europe not being like what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a problem. They're not parties. And this is the thing. Again, you cannot just look formally at the very kind of surface of things. Oh, this is that party and that party. And then, you know... That, that doesn't give you any kind of insight into the things. That's just technicalities. And, and if you entertain technicalities and draw conclusions, from then you're just an ignorant person and you don't understand about politics and about social processes and, and so on. So this is, this, is, this is one thing. Second thing I want to say is that people complain, especially in Western press, uh, Western media, they complain, oh, but Bulgarians, they don't go to vote. And that's somehow supposed to be a very bad thing. I congratulate the Bulgarian nation that they don't go to vote. I congratulate them because th- uh, this is the only reasonable decision to make in the situation that that has that has been in place uh, um, for the last 20 years. Of course, the nation goes uh, you, you know the society goes prefers to go to to pick mushrooms rather than go to vote because. They've learned. They've learned. They're not as stupid, you know. They've learned that over the past 20, 20-something 20 years that nothing depends on them. Nothing. Literally nothing. I mean, no one represents them. No one will stand for them. No one will uh, speak for them. <laughs> so, of course, they're not going to vote. Like, this is a very healthy attitude. The Bulgarians are very smart people and they understand perfectly how the system is trying to screw them over. And they don't let themselves being screwed uh, be screwed over. Now, there's another question. How do we change this? And that's that's the the, the kind of yeah. You know, that, that, because I would because- say
0: this is very dangerous in a sense <laughs> that if you pervert democracy and you persist in presenting this fakery as democracy, the risk here is that people are going to go for extremist parties, right wing parties that truly will bring authoritarianism. Yeah, I
1: know. But this, I know, I know. This is all possible. They could vote for the left, for the the right, more extreme, less extreme. We could, you know, there's a lot of speculation that we can make Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. on the basis of what's, you know, the history of the country, not least. But uh, the point is, The point is that, you know, I don't want to go into, you know, like theoretical deliberations about how to overcome capitalism and, and, you know, how to organize the transition because there's no time for that. But one thing I do want to point out, and I think it's very, very important and very important also for the Western audience uh, of our show to understand, because the Westerners are very entrenched into many liberal concepts, even though... Uh, those of the Westerners that, you know, they say, oh, we're against liberalism. We think liberalism is not even a political doctrine. It's a mental disorder and stuff there. You know, liberalism has been there for such a long time that many liberal uh, concepts, ideas, uh, kind of um, perception models, you know, are there. And that's okay. I'm not trying to blame anyone. You know, I also have like, you know, certain uh, because of the systems I've lived in, I I have I might have some kind of flaws in my in my perception and, and and understanding of the world and political processes i'm just saying that because one of the elements of the transition to wherever we go you know uh even reforming the current system if you like or or i, I don't know limiting the oligarchic uh, rampage in Bulgaria, you know, not necessarily over, overthrowing capitalism immediately, but, but whatever you want to do, even if you want to mildly modify what's, what's in place, or if you want to, you know, overthrow it completely and, and put a different system in place, no matter, like, where are we going to be going, and no matter whether we're going to have like a leftist, ex- like far left or far right government, we are going to go through a phase of illiberalism. There will will not be, you know, free for all kind of thing, you know, constant voting every couple of months and stuff like that. This is, I mean, we can have that, but this isn't going to lead us anywhere. If we are going to change anything, then we will need some organization, some party, some leader who is going at least to crush the oligarchs. I mean, how are you going to do that with, you know, liberal instruments? This is not possible because liberalism doesn't offer any kind of any kind of set of of political options for you to confront the capital. You can't do that because this is not how, like in liberal, in a liberal organization of society and state, you cannot even tell a company what to do, let alone, you know, kind of crush a big capital center run by one, two, or three oligarchs—you cannot do that. So we will pass through some some illiberalism, and that's there's no way that it will not happen. I mean, I, I unless you know, my imagination is poor, and maybe there are some <laughs> options, but but I don't believe that. So um, this, and this is very is, interesting.
0: What you're saying, is,
1: yeah, and this is really important because it's important to understand that you know our our purpose. I, I mean, our our goal, our is. You know, as political commentators and as observers of the political sphere in Eastern Europe, is not to cry, you know, uh, weep over, oh my God, authoritarianism. Oh, oh, oh." you know, they're going to uh, prevent elections from happening in the next six months or something. We've had enough elections now, okay? We've had a lot, a lot of elections. That's, that's, okay, enough. Like, we've seen what happens, what comes out of it. Now it's time for someone to actually take care of, of, of stuff. And now, this is this is one thing and second thing is like you know guys let's be let's be honest about it like let's be absolutely honest if anyone is going to want to rule in bulgaria without being pressured from from all those spots you know centers of power centers of oligarchic wealth international uh centers of power like you know the american embassy not least in bulgaria they, if if you will want to have some kind of some kind of political self determination, if you like, if you will really want to impose some kind of drastic reforms on what's uh, on the Bulgarian political system, you will not only have to use authoritarian methods, but moreover, you will have to confront more and more an increasing amount of pressure from various centers. And this will only strengthen the authoritarian tendencies because, b- trust me, regardless of whether it's going to be a far right or far left or whatever uh, <clears throat> government that is going to try and reform Bulgaria or prevent the further dismantlement of this country and this nation, they will have to confront them. And, and I just don't quite see how, uh, you know, how the oligarchs or how the American embassy are going to say, oh, OK, like you want to expropriate us or you want to you want to, you know, you want to carry out your own independent uh, policies towards the war in Ukraine and Russia with 80 percent or 90 percent of the population being favorable to Russia. And you can, no problem. Well, of course, this isn't going to happen. Right. So, like, guys, let's just not, you know, obsess over authoritarian tendencies here and there. Authoritarianism, for better or for worse, for worse, mostly, has been the norm in our region. Has been the norm. That's what's been. That's what the situation's been like over the last 200 years, okay? And and this is, this is something that is to be worked on. This is something to be, you know, uh, uh, analyzed. This is something to be researched. But this is not something to just be dismissed. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter that 80 or 90% of the people believe that, uh, I don't know, Vladimir Putin, for example, in Bulgaria, that's the case, is the perfect system or is the perfect father of the nation. All those things don't matter. You have this. Please, shove it up your... You know, I wanna
0: comment a little bit because thank you. I think there are so many interesting ideas that you put forward because right now what we have is a perverse kind of authoritarianism that is presented like democracy and you have the privatization of the nation and you still have to fear for your job. Uh, you know, for economic securities, there are more subtle mechanisms to keep you in place, but no less efficient. When you have political authoritarianism, it is transparent and you know what you expect. Whereas now, on top of being, you know, living under an authoritarian system, Because it is so subtle and perverse, you have to worry all the time because the strings are economic. They are not going to send you to Gulag, but they are going to fire you. And guess what? You are going to starve if you don't, you know, comply, and you don't. Uh, you're you're not opportunistic enough to keep your mouth shut and to do as you're told. Mm-hmm. And this is very important. And I would say, and uh, I just made the connection because I often said that this type of Western dominance around the world created authoritarian opposition and this is exactly what's going on also in bulgaria and our countries because it creates so much destruction and chaos that at some point you have two options as you said you continue down that path and you basically dismantle your whole society or you find an authoritarian leader that is able to stand up populist authoritarian leader that is going to stand up to All these tendencies, you know, oligarchic pressure, uh, all sorts of embassies trying to, you know, influence the countries. And this cannot be done by, I don't know... uh, and from a very mild, liberal, centrist position. You would need somebody that would team up probably with the secret services and with the police and with the army, because these are well-organized, hierarchical, uh, you know, institutions that can support such a leader. And that will be it. (laughs) Apparently, we are heading towards this type of authoritarian, uh, militaristic society.
1: Well, yeah, but but, but I I think that it depends, like, how... What, what, what is going to be the purpose of having this because that's that's very important like the, if the purpose is going to to preserve you know the current uh, situation but may, maybe slightly amend it well that doesn't make a lot of sense I mean it's not worth the sacrifice but then you know maybe and and it's not out of the cards basically maybe we get something better in a sense that like when we when we go through this illiberal phase one way or another then maybe some things are gonna improve like it, Bulgaria is really facing the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of, well, ultimate stages of its statehood if nothing changes. In a sense, like, the Bulgarian state is a conglomeration of institutions that don't function. They they are just absolutely, absolutely dysfunctional. I mean, nothing public works, okay? Okay. And there are two elements here. One is that, you know, people are uh, running away from this country massively. We've had like, you know, an exodus of about 3 million people uh, over the last 30 years, which is one third of the society, which is, you know, a horrendous um, incident, basically, a process. And then, you know, that's, that's one direction. And second direction is that those people who remained in the country, such a state, which is completely dysfunctional, a state where they have... Nothing to say. No one listens to them. No one can even help them in a situation, you know, which is completely useless from their point of view. Both of those groups, those inside and outside Bulgaria, they lose interest in the very existence of such a state. Like, what's the point? You know, what do I what, what do I need Bulgaria for if it cannot be there when I when I need some some assistance, some support? You know, what are we going to do? We, we Like, you know. Even even the army is so small that it doesn't matter. Like we've got like fifteen thousand people in the army. something. like this is just a joke. Like so there are there is no there is no aspect of statehood that would deserve any kind of individual or collective uh, attention, let alone engagement, let alone commitment, let alone you know some kind of emotional connection.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, that's, that, that. you're perfectly right. But then again, let's go to Poland, because in Poland, yeah. apparently, you have a right-wing, you know, yeah. chairman of the state that is Jaroslaw yeah. Kaczynski, and you have some sort of authoritarianism, yeah. and it is there... Not to change, but to preserve, actually, this type of fake democracy. And apparently, you know, they are changing the fundamental structures, but they still keep in place, you know, the appearance of a democracy. That's very weird.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you that Poland is an authoritarian state and that we have an authoritarian government in place ran by this uh, chairman of the state, as I like to call him. He's the chairman of the party, of the ruling party. It's called Law and Justice. The name of the party gives you a sense of, you know, what Law and Justice. It.
0: I think it was a movie. It was a movie back in the 90s that was called Law and Justice.
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't know how
0: they got that. their inspiration. from.
1: Yeah, there. well, I i don't know where they get their inspiration. I think that they, they took it from, uh, if I were to guess, they, they took it from the general culture. I mean, you know, people in Eastern Europe, and that's another thing that you know the Westerners have to understand, are not. They don't like experiments and surprises. That's just that's just in our DNA. And you know, you can analyze it. You can write you can write two or three or ten PhDs, probably sociology about it, about the sociology of it. Right? We we love stability. Stability is the most important thing for us. That things are stable and that they are they are somehow predictable. The next day is certain, even if it's going to be. You know, worse than today, that we know what's going to happen. This is how people in Eastern Europe think. This is how people in Russia, in Bulgaria, in Poland, Hungary, you know, they think the same. That's one of the things which connect us, Eastern Europeans. Uh, I mean, I don't. I, I'm sure that Western societies they also would enjoy stability, but they are more prone to certain. Change. In my opinion, in my okay, like I don't want to like enforce it as as like the only uh, <coughs> correct view. But in my opinion, they are more prone to. To uh, to experiment to to uh, to give um, uh, you know more spaces for some innovations at the expense of this of stability. Okay, so in Poland, when you come up with a slogan like "Law and Justice," that's perfectly in line with the con- uh, with the concept that people have in their head about how things should be ruled, how the how the social uh, m- m- uh, yeah well maybe not the social but but the public sphere should be like everything should be governed by law and there should be justice makes perfect sense now the problem is that those people who like that who are the majority of the Polish society are constantly being viciously attacked by the previous by the previous government I mean not by the previous government but by the party that formed the previous government the so called civic civic platform party the party of Donald Tusk the former president of the European Council you know and an important politician on a European level not only polish okay so he this party and their media syndicate they they've they've spent the last seven years since law and justice has been uh, in power since 2015 they've spent seven years you know really taking one huge dump on those people like calling them all kinds of names saying that they are backward they are stupid they don't understand progress and democracy and modernity they don't understand the achievements of the transition they don't respect the authorities they you know and they are thick-headed fundamentalists you know catholic they are just the scum of the earth you know that's that's the narrative that's and and those people displaying this kind of behavior uh, running on, on this kind of campaign of smears and, 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 and aggressive narratives against the majority of their own society, they, they are, you know, the democratic opposition. They are the great democrats. They are those who are going to bring the real democracy in place. Now, I want to tell you, they come up every once in a while with new, um, with new uh, personas. That they they let them speak the new person like scientists or actors or like members of the high society, let's say. Okay, generally speaking, and quite recently they've actually invited. Well, quite recently, it's been like, let's say, it's been going on over the last three four months. They they have this this new guy. He's a professor, psychology professor from the University of Warsaw. Okay, university, the biggest university in Poland, seventy thousand students, right, or eighty or something like that. <clears throat> now, this professor from the faculty of psychology, his sec- uh, his surname is Guretsky. Doesn't matter; you've never heard of him, but just you know, just to be precise here, he said, and he spent the last three four months uh, going through various TV studios, radio studios, and you know, discussing with journalists, writing in papers. He spent uh, the last three months explaining how Law and Justice is a fascist party. And because it's a fascist party, it has to be made illegal. In other words, it has to be banned.
0: And (laughs) this is the
1: democratic opposition. That's the democratic democratic opposition. It has to be banned, but not only has it has to be banned, but now, mind the wording. Its electorate must be disintegrated. Now, this is the mild... (laughs) That's, that, that's a mild phrase for we are going, let me translate it, okay, from, from, from this, this, like this mild phrase, it stands for we are going to launch a massive campaign of repression where we are going to intimidate, torture, lock up, you know, I don't know what else, hundreds of thousands or millions of people until, which is the electorate of law and justice, until it disintegrates. I mean, this is like when you hear, you know, when you hear the far right commanders. This,
0: in, real. In this the is Ukrainian, the hope, the democratic hope. Oh, yeah. hope. Now, now,
1: I, I just want to say that when you hear the, the right wing, far right, you know, commanders of various uh, of various, uh, various units of the Ukrainian army. OK, and we know they have a problem with the right wing ideology. They say exactly the same. I mean they use exactly the same kind of phrases when we take over crimea we are going to have to disintegrate the support for russia there we are going like that's what they're saying we're going to have to you know lock up torture kill you know massively massively repress the society in order to break the backbone of it so that we can impose our you know our system right and in the case of Poland, it's we, we're going to have to impose democracy. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is, they are, <laughs> they sick. Democracy, sick.
0: butterflies and flowers and everything else yeah. is going to be a gruesome process of repression.
1: But, but how, how can you even say that? How can you even go out? <laughs> how can you put, put yourself out there and say a thing like that? I mean, this is, this should be the end of your career. But No. No, it's like you know. So, so this is this is how how the situation in Poland. What what the situation in Poland has been like? And of course, of course, at the bottom of it is the utter ignorance of the politicians. I mean, I've said that many times. They are very stupid people, and they're spin doctors and everything. They are just a bunch of idiots. And th- the problem is that. The party of Donald Tusk and his advisors and his, you know, millionaires and his people there, they don't understand why people support law and justice because they think they think that the entire society looks like they imagine it. You remember uh, this uh, lawyer from Hungary uh, was on our program, M.S. I hope I'm pronouncing her name remotely
0: correctly. Yes, M.S. She
1: was she was in our program. And she said that, you know, all the sociologists, when Orban came to power, all the sociologists, all the scientists, all the social psychologists, all the academics, everybody was taken aback going, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh, Orban is here. What, what's going on with this society? And she's like, bitches, you are supposed to know what the society is like. You are the sociologists. You have the PhDs. You have all those things. You didn't know? You were not able to predict? What are your diplomas worth? Nothing. And that's exactly the... That's exactly the 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 essence of it, the credentials for being part of the elite in Eastern Europe, and in particular in Poland, are worth zero. Zero. The current academic, the current uh, analytical, the current political elite in Poland, they should all give it up. They should all give up their diplomas. They should give up their, you know, whatever credentials they've had in order to get to to, to, uh, to the positions of high society because they don't understand anything. I mean, you get this Professor Gurecki that I just mentioned. He's a prof in the biggest Polish university, and he says things like that, right? So we have a very profound, deep problem with, again, we spoke, uh, we, we've discussed that in the previous program with the notion of representation. Those people in the Polish elite, they only represent themselves and the mythology about themselves that they've d- developed in their heads. And they want to enforce it on the rest of the society. And we call it democracy. And the European Union supports that. They support it. The United States support that. OK, the biggest mainstream media in the world, they support that. And they give you stories like, oh, there's a great, fantastic, magnificent liberal opposition. Well, I told you what what the liberalism or this opposition is all about. Right? That
0: wants to repress the electorate of law and justice until it is finished.
1: Yes. And this is this is this is the connection between Poland and Bulgaria here, you know, those centers of power which are completely detached from the Polish reality, from the cultural reality, from the political reality, from the social reality, from the economic reality, most of all those elites they develop you know some people say they're po, po, they, they hate their own nation that's that's true but it's not it's not devised on ideological basis this is what happens as a natural development of the process they start hating their nation they start hating their people they start hating their country not because they you know, that was their their, their initial standpoint that, that you know, that, that's what they are like. But because they think that everything around them should be projection of, you know, what they think about Poland and about the society and about the institution, about the business, about the economy. And, it, and because the reality asserts itself, because the reality kicks in and part of that reality are the people you cannot have, you, you cannot hate. An economic process i mean you can hate it you might not like it but you cannot influence it in any way because this is a, a non-living thing right i mean if there's an inflation you can hate it but you know you cannot influence it by your hate by your hatred but when you have people oh that's a very great material to be hated and to be uh uh, uh to be uh, uh uh disdained right i mean this is this is like it's all. It's not because of the economic process, which I cannot influence with my hatred. It's not because of this or that decision, <laughs> the decision that's been taken. It's not because of this or that institution that is not functioning or is functioning. It's not because of the European Union. It's not because of American imperialism. All those things they are immune to my hatred. I, I cannot spit at them, you know, effectively. And you know, quite honestly, you cannot spit effectively even at the people. But at least you can imagine that they are hurt yes, by, your, exactly. by your spitting, right? So so like it's all, it's all projection, a spiral of projections. And where you get by that is that you just end up hating your country, hating your people. And of course, the reaction to that is law and justice and other far-right parties going like those people are anti-Polish. Those people are against the Polish nation. Those people are against the Polish state. And you know, now when you come to look at it, It's not like they don't have a point.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I will tell you a, a little bit, you know, being an academic for the past two decades, I can tell you that this whole system where you have to use others to get points for you, to get grants for you, incentivizes a kind of selfish, almost psychopathic behavior on the part of academics who are not there to share knowledge, who are not there to serve the society, but are there to use the society, use marginalized groups, to use all sorts of categories, to write articles, to build a career for themselves. So, together, you know, to, to, to amass as much symbolic power as they can. And this is a very perverse way to, to destroy academia and transform it into a place where people are there for themselves and only for themselves and are there to use society to somehow get grants, points, uh, all sorts of achievements, but not to care about it, not to be there to share, to be a humble intellectual servant of your society. No, no, that's not the case. And this is why you have all sorts of, of pathologies, I would say, of academia. And in Eastern Europe, coupled with all sorts of authoritarianisms, you get this very interesting show, <laughs> you know, our People are just displaying with no unhinged, you know, manifestations of hatred and uh, quite fascistic, you know. Yeah, 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 I I really
1: think. By the way, I uh, perhaps let me uh, you know make that point uh, kind of provocative, maybe to some of our viewers and uh, particularly those who live in Poland and understand the Polish reality. But really, when you look at the, there's a lot of there's a lot of hue and cry over how. Kaczynski is, is is installing some kind of fascist dictatorship in Poland. I mean, fascist. You know, I've like I've heard it so many times now that you know fascism. Like, if I believed it, if if I were to believe it, then fascism would not be really a scary thing anymore because oh, I've I've, I've lived in fascism for over seven years now, right? So <coughs> what they, what they are doing by that? So what they are doing by that is they are they are normalizing fascism really. So they are they are just stupid and ignorant. They don't understand that because they are stupid and ignorant. But, but also because they are just ideologically obsessed. And that's, that's, that's another factor here. Ideological obsessions, you know, doctrinarism, like, I don't know if it's a word, but I guess you know what I mean, like being just attached blindly to doctrine. Uh, and, you know, I really, think, I really think, judging by the way they talk, by their discourse, if you like, by their approach to the public sphere, of the democratic opposition, I mean, you know, the Democrats, the great Democrats, I mm-hmm. think they are much more of fascistic patricians than law and justice, really. At the moment, at least. I'm not saying that law and justice... Yaroslav Kaczynski could become a fascist and could, you know... There, there are elements of fascistic counter-revolution during his reign, that's true. Elements, not that it... And, but really, the approach, the dictatorial approach based on two very important fascist fundamental uh, uh elements factors one one such factor is let's restore the glory of the past right that's that's very profoundly fishy. let's restore the glory of the past that's what they want to do and the glory of the past is everything that happened before 2015 because everything afterwards is is horrible right so they stand openly against historical progress and and the second thing is the question the question of you know, massive repression in order to drive down living standards and to secure, you know, power for them. So, I mean, you have two elements which are profoundly fascistic coming together in their discourse, in their ideology. And when you, you know, when when you put the obsession on top of that and all the rest, it really is very dangerous. So, uh, and and also, you know, there's a lot of ignorance and I've spoken about that. So, Uh, I really think that when it comes to this kind of measurements, this kind of comparisons, who is more fascistic than I'm afraid the Polish opposition currently is more (laughs) fascistic than than the government, by which I'm not trying to say that the current government is good or that I support it or anything like that. Yes, yes,
0: of course. This is not a story with good guys and bad guys. Unfortunately, it's a story with bad guys and even more (laughs) bad guys. guys. And then
1: when it comes to the left sellouts, that's the that's so, story um, of yes, Bad guys, know, worse guys the and sellouts
0: Caricature, I mean a okay. cheap imitation Of the weirdest form Of leftism in the West Yeah, weird, yeah exactly, very
1: very well put The Im- imitation of of, a, of The cheapest form of leftism here, yes, We should talk about it again sometime
0: So, dear yeah. viewers If you like what you saw, please consider Supporting us So, Please share our content Thank you so much for watching And um, if uh, again if you like we have a small community of donors to whom we are very thankful and if you feel you can support this content we are producing don't hesitate to to support us and uh stay healthy keep fighting and we'll see you all in the next segment of the show thank you boyan very thank interesting very conversation. Much.